Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. I'm one of the co-hosts of the show. I am with Gage Hunt. Hi, hi. Gage, this is, is this our like fifth or sixth podcast together? Together? Yeah. It's only three. Well, but I interviewed you yeah. and you did the liturgy one. Oh, four. You're right. You're right. Okay. I'm just checking. Okay. <laughs> we are very happy to have you here. We exist to respond to the questions you don't feel comfortable in church. We are doing a series, which is why do I still follow Jesus, which is powerful stories of faith experiences. And today we are with Glenn Pearson. He's going to be introducing himself soon. Uh, but we, he has quite a story and we're going to be hitting on that just to let you know too, his story is in Christianity today. Um, it's got a great title that he was a mole to the mallet. So if you, uh, if you play whack-a-mole, then, uh, you'll probably know where that is. Gage, before we throw it to Glenn, do you have any thoughts or also a book, right? Um, that's a good, great question. That's a great question, right? <laughs> Titles, that that's ties a great into question. my story later on. Yeah. That's, awesome. That's what it's called. I, frankly, I didn't care for the title. The <laughs> publisher put it on there and I fought, but I lost. So. <laughs> and what's the title of the book before we jump to you? It's called That's a Great Question. Uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's actually the title. That's a great question. <laughs> well, that's a great question. <laughs> Anyways, Glenn. Yeah. You're, you're here. Um, before we jump in too far, why don't you just give us a two-minute intro of yourself, and then we'll jump into your story. Sure. All righty. I was born in New York, uh, went to Syracuse University in upstate New York, was an English education major. Uh, then I spent nine years on staff with CREW, Campus Crusade for Christ. After that, I went to Ohio State University for a master's degree in health administration, and then I spent a bunch of years uh, as a senior healthcare executive in Ohio, Michigan, and Georgia. I spent uh, more than 19 years as executive vice president at Georgia Hospital Association. And then I spent several years consulting with technology companies that were introducing uh, health-related technology, uh, trying to get hospitals to, to buy them. And with my decades of experience on the other side of the table, I was able to help them figure out strategy. And I actually wrote a, another book on that called uh, Thriving in the Healthcare Market. It has nothing to do with faith, but uh, uh, I thought it was pretty good. That's why I wrote it. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That... And, and we live in California now. My wife and I moved out here uh, about a year ago. We have two adult children in Los Angeles and um, Orange County, three grandkids, and we love being out here with the family. Mm. Well, most of our audience is, uh, well, maybe not most, but a lot of our audience is around here in upstate New York. So we appreciate that background. I'm sure we miss you too there out you here in the, the region. You know, right. if you ever want to come back, you, <laughs> yeah, you'd yeah. be welcome. Um, I had a great time at Syracuse. I loved it. Cool, cool. Um, so you recently wrote a piece for Christianity Today, um, and it was, uh, well, actually it has two titles here in the magazine. It was different, but online, and I think the, the version that exists for most of our listeners to see is called, um, I was the mole in a family of mallets. And um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that paints an interesting picture. Um, but in the article, you share a bit about your uh, story growing up. Uh, in a unique part of the church and a uh, unique encounter. 
Um, but unpack, we'll we'll dive. Let's start diving into that a little bit more. Tell us tell us about your you know early kind of family life and uh, up, upbringing and leading up yeah. to your encounter with with God. Sure, um, I describe it as emotionally toxic. Um, unfortunately, my dad was a uh, is mentally ill, and he was emotionally and verbally abusive. Um, he had two nicknames for me. One was idiot child. And I can't mention the other one without being bleeped out. So, you know, not exactly a supportive individual, uh, very anti-conventional, uh, anything conventional was evil or suspect, uh, even to the point where he never gave us Christmas gifts, birthday gifts, because I suppose that was seen as too materialistic. Uh, he got us involved with a Unitarian Fellowship Group, which is quasi-religious, but really not. I mean, it was more almost philosophy of life. Uh, you know, let's study the great world religions. Let's listen to what Mahatma Gandhi said, throw in a little bit of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Jesus fits in there somewhere, too. But there's no sense of a transcendent God, no sense of, you know, God created me. I have responsibility to to him because he made me. Uh, so it's very kind of intellectual, heady type things. Uh, for our, we didn't have Sunday school. I don't even know what we called it, but the kids would get together. And we, one time we ended up studying the ancient Egyptians. So we made a pyramid out of sugar blocks and we studied the Aborigines in uh, Australia. So we made boomerangs and threw them at each other in the parking lot, you know, that type of thing. So it was really a very non-religious background. So he was not in any way supportive. He left our family when I was about 12 and never gave any financial support, any emotional support. But that's just the beginning. Um, his dad, out of fairness to him, part of his problem may be because of the way he was raised. Uh, his dad, all four of my grandparents are Hungarian from Hungary. And his dad is a very cold man, uh, never smiled, never engaged with people. And I was told a few years ago, I don't know if this is true, but I was told by my, I guess, technically stepsister, the lady or lady from the marriage he left our family for, that he told her, he told my stepsister that when my dad was young, he was having a conversation with his dad about electricity. So his dad, my grandfather, gave him a paper clip and told him to stick it into the electric socket in the wall to see what would happen. Not recommended. You know, I mean, if that's indicative of the way his dad was, that may help explain some of his dysfunctionality. So he was not a happy man. Uh, in his 60s, he decided that he had cancer. So one day he decided to walk down to the railroad tracks about a mile from her house and jump in front of a train that was coming at him. Uh, so that was the first suicide. Um, I had one sibling, a brother, who was a year older, and unfortunately he suffered from schizophrenia, a manic depression. He spent the last 20 so years of his life in and out of mental hospitals. Uh, he eventually committed suicide as a, a, as a patient in the hospital. And when we went to the memorial service at the hospital for my brother, this head psychiatrist who knew my dad very well commented to my wife. She, he said, you know, your dad really is the one who should be in, in this hospital. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, was not a formal diagnosis, but a psychiatrist recognized that there was something severely wrong with him. So that was my brother. Unfortunately, we never had any kind of brotherly relationship. I always felt like he hated me. Um, so there's not any support there. And then without going into a lot of details, all the other men, especially in the family, were a mess. I had an uncle who was a hermit and a hoarder and a recluse, another one who um, was unfaithful to his wife and allegedly had some connections with low-level organized crime in New York City, uh, another relative alcoholic, uh, someone else used to go to Thailand every couple of years because of the easy sex trade there. So, I mean, it was just a mess. There was not a healthy um, man in the family, and the women were kind of weak and subservient to all that stuff. So it was, like I say, emotionally toxic. So that's so, a brief summary of what I grew up in. <laughs> so before we get to your story of coming to know Jesus, uh, you know, there's really a place I, I, I want to focus because, you know, your story is unique in the sense that you were in a Unitarian church where, you know, you had teachings from Gandhi, teachings from Jesus, uh, other types of things. Um, and it doesn't sound like your family was really Christian. So there's many of our listeners that are de-churched and unchurched. And, you know, we can yeah. kind of follow the line of thinking of, I went to a church, they were really legalistic, spiritually abusive. So for someone like you that grew up with your background, where did your angst for Christianity and Jesus come from? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, I think I think everybody had, everybody has an innate sense that we're created by God or that we're responsible somewhere, higher power, whatever. And I always sensed that growing up, um, but I never had any handles to to describe that. And when I finally did come to faith in college, uh, ironically, well, the other thing I didn't mention was that I was always the other factor in my background. I was a smart kid, high school class valedictorian, honors program at Syracuse University, uh, Phi Beta Kappa, all that stuff. So I was I thought I was too smart to be a Christian, but I didn't really understand what a Christian was. I had all the stereotypes, hmm. but underneath it all, um, I felt something was obviously missing. And actually, I started dabbling in uh, occultish type things. You know, um, I took a, believe it or not, an honors seminar at Syracuse on how to draw astrological charts for yourself and your friends for fun right. and profit <laughs> and, uh, you know, seances and stuff like that. So, I mean, there was a yearning there that I couldn't define as specifically religious, but you know, I think that was the Holy Spirit kind of preparing me to to respond when I finally heard the message. Yeah, tell us tell us a little more about that. And what 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 was your life like at, at that moment where you'd say you were you did encounter, you know, God in a different way? Right. I, I went to a program on campus that was called Do the Dead Return, and it was sponsored by this Christian group, Campus Crusade for Christ. And I thought, okay, these Christians are so dopey. You know, they probably, this is probably <laughs> not something that Christians believe that dead people can come back. I bet they're doing this as a fundraiser. You know, it was like 10 bucks or something like that. Well, the joke was on me. Uh, I went there because I was very interested in that type of occultic, uh, 
you know, kind of paranormal stuff. And it turned out the whole presentation discussed uh, the, the concept of Do the Dead Return. He, the speaker focused around the greatest escape artist of the 20th century, Harry Houdini. Mm. And he had a deal with his wife that whichever one of them would die first, the one remaining behind would hold a seance every Halloween evening to see if they can connect with the dead partner. And so they did that for 10 years and nothing happened. So after 10 years of doing that, they concluded, well, the dead can't return because if anybody could have come back from the dead, it would have been Harry Houdini. Well, since he didn't do it, I guess nobody can. And that wasn't what I was expecting to hear. But then the speaker went on to say, you know, but there was somebody who died and did come back, and that was Jesus. And he talked about who Jesus was, what he did, why he came, and all that stuff. And to get to your question, what was going on at the time, despite my intellectual rejection of Christian things, which is very unschooled, by the way, I, I, I had all kinds of stereotypes. If you had asked me to explain why I didn't believe the Bible, I probably wouldn't have been able to say very much, except, well, nobody believes it, so why should I? But despite all that, two things were going on in my heart at that time. I knew that what the speaker was saying was true, and I knew that I was going to be part of it. So he gave us an opportunity to um, respond to Jesus' invitation to enter our lives to forgive our sins. And I eagerly did that because I knew I knew it was the right thing to do. So it's kind of ironic because all the pseudo-intellectual skepticism, whatever, was totally irrelevant. I just knew this was the truth. So before we go deeper into your story, I, I just kind of want to take a pause for a second because your, your story is it's seemingly very Generation Z. So you made this comment and you said, you know, I took a, an astrological class that was part of the way that God used me to come to Jesus. I So I can... I can think of a lot of pastors and maybe parents that listen to this podcast and who knows how many there are like that, like just freaks them out. <laughs> so I, I guess tell me, tell us a little bit more because I think you might be in tune with maybe more of what this generation's going after of feeling, I want to be connected spiritually, but I think sometimes people are afraid. Does that actually lead to Jesus? Do you know? Help our listeners through your story connect those dots. Yeah, I would not recommend that at all because that <laughs> is not from God. Um, I think in my case, it was more indicative of my yearning than it wasn't. I wouldn't say God used that to bring me to Christ. I think that was an indicator of my felt need. Mm. And I was to coin the, to borrow the old phrase, I was looking for love in all the wrong places, you know. Mm. And God honored that despite my, you know, making mistakes and where I was going. He honored my heart to know the truth. Mm. Would you, you, you said a moment so ago. Don't as do you, that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good disclaimer for, for this podcast, probably. Um, you know, we won't get uh, turned off by anyone. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Um, you, you shared briefly just a moment ago, and you shared this in your article too. Uh, I have the line here. You said, uh, just to repeat it, during my sophomore year of college, I stumbled into a campus Christian meeting and heard the gospel for one of the first times. As the presenter spoke, 
the Holy Spirit burned two realizations into my heart. That this new thing, quote unquote, that I didn't even recognize as Christianity was 100% true and that I would be a part of it. That night, even though I knew almost nothing about the theology of salvation, I brushed aside my intellectual skepticism and eagerly made a commitment to Jesus. And you echoed that sentiment a moment ago, just how despite your kind of intellectual objections, there was something about that moment. There was something that happened then that really made that maybe not relevant, but secondary. Can you, can you, sh- what, tell us a little bit more about what happened there. What, what did that? What, what, yeah. Well, it was the Holy Spirit. You know, I mean, people don't come to know Jesus by thinking their way into the kingdom by studying books and, you know, reading apologetics. I mean, I love apologetics. I wrote a book that is an apologetics book, but it's really the Holy Spirit working in somebody's heart. And that's really the best way I can explain it. And in fact, uh, you know, in the introductory chapter of my book, I described that in real brief terms. And I made the comment that, you know, I made a commitment to Christ. And then I began investigating uh, some of the intellectual academic support for the validity of the Bible. And one person who reviewed the book before it came out said, didn't you reverse that? Didn't you study about why the Bible's true and why Jesus is real and then make a commitment? I said, no, not at all. I knew it was true. I was responding to the Holy Spirit working in my life. And then I had to reconcile, okay, so here I am rejecting all this idea about the Bible being the Word of God and being trustworthy and all that. That's what I had had, you know, 19 years of growing up. And then I'm meeting with all these Christians saying, well, the Bible's accurate. It's true. You should trust it. I said, well, those two things don't add up. So I had to reconcile those in my mind to figure out how they fit together uh, to maintain my intellectual integrity. So, yeah, intellect is a really important part of it. And uh, um, I love apologetics. I love supporting the Christian faith from an intellectual standpoint. But that's not what it's about. It's about knowing Jesus. And he touched my heart, and that was how I responded. And then the other stuff kind of fell in place over the years. And that's what led me to write the book, because I figured if I had these problems, I wanted to help other people who might have similar problems understand that, no, you don't have to be a a moron to believe the Bible is the Word of God. Hmm. I want to come back to some of the apologetics, but I want to bring, bring us back to the story that you told in Christianity today and kind of highlight it. So here you are, somebody that grows up in an abusive home, generations of abuse, and you become a Christian. And then not only do you become a Christian, but you work for a Christian organization. How it's not like you woke up one day and said, I'm going to forgive my family. Maybe you did, but I think in your story, there's a little bit more of a process to the healing and kind of going back to what you said, it it wasn't a thinking logical, you had a powerful experience. Tell our listeners about the process of you kind of healing through all that you went through as a child. Sure, sure. Um, You know, let's talk about the forgiveness side. Um, I think the best indicator that I've heard that somebody, if somebody wants to know if they've truly forgiven somebody who's hurt them, even hurt them deeply, is if I can pray for that person who hurt me the same things that I pray for myself, then I know that I've forgiven them. In other words, 
you know, when I'm praying for myself, I'm praying for, you know, health and good relationships and financial success. I mean, nobody prays for cancer. You know, I'm always, you always pray for the good things for yourself. If I can pray for these other people, some of whom, and I don't use this term lightly, I would say my dad was an evil man, you know, and I would only say that about maybe one or two people I've met. He died a few years ago. I truly pray and hope that he's in heaven. I, I doubt it based on every conversation we ever had and his his nature and his skepticism and his um, just, he, I'd be surprised if he's there, but I really hope he is. Mm-hmm. So for me, forgiveness is being able to let go of that and want the best for that other person. A lot of times people confuse forgiveness and reconciliation. They say, well, I don't like to spend time with that person. Well, guess what? I never liked to spend time with my dad, (laughs) you know, until the day he died. We had to grit our teeth every time we'd go to visit because you never knew what was going to come our way. But that didn't mean I didn't forgive him. So I guess my admonition to to listeners is don't feel like you can't forgive somebody because you don't want to invite them to Thanksgiving dinner. Mm -hmm. You know, that's they're two totally, totally different issues. Forgiveness is one way street. My responsibility reconciliation the other person needs to be needs to recognize that they need to maybe change their ways before i'm going to step back into an abusive relationship with them so let's uh let's back up a little bit um i love we're pairing this podcast with mark goodman who's actually a friend of yours um so he said a lot i think we need to hear that multiple times what was the process for you of being in Syracuse University, coming to know Jesus, but then trying to reconcile your past and your pain, um, experiencing grace and healing? What did that look like for you? Well, I guess there are two aspects of that. One was just general growth in Christ as a Christian. I mean, I've been at this for several decades now, so I've I've learned a lot. I've listened to thousands of messages, read hundreds of Christian books, um, you know, so just a general understanding of God's grace um, extended to me that I need to turn around and extend to other people. Uh, another factor, and I, I mentioned this in the article as well, is that I met with a Christian counselor for about a year and a half, and he helped me sort through a lot of the the junk uh, that I had been through. And, and I mentioned in the article I think it was on four separate occasions that during the year and a half that I met with him, he said, okay, stop. I got to interject something here. I got to tell you that you make no sense because you've told me all these stories about how awful all these people were to you. You should be, you know, abusive and alcoholic, unemployable, divorced a couple of times. You don't make any sense. The only explanation (laughs) for you is God's grace. And he's exactly right. The fact that he said that four times, <laughs> you know, that's pretty dramatic, I think. So, you know, it's a combination of things. It's just allowing God's grace to flow through my life to heal the stuff that I need, but also uh, seeking the help that was was really crucial for me turning a corner in a sense. That's really cool. Um, two, two things that you shared just in the past few minutes uh, that I love and I want to dive a little deeper into just touch on uh, something we've talked about on this podcast before, but the idea of Christianity is is not a worldview <laughs> in this kind of clinical uh, detached sense, but but truly something 
deeper. A relationship is is the phrase that you hear most, perhaps. Um, but but a significant, a deeper connection actually with God. And and two things you've shared were one that was striking your your moment of real encounter in that campus meeting. Um, where again, intellectual intellectualism wasn't brushed aside because you clearly came back to that and wrote a book about it. But something transcended it. There, there was some encounter that that powerfully transcended that, and I think that's so rich and so true, and something that's overlooked and often unrecognized by folks, perhaps outside the church, who haven't spent a ton of time um, listening <laughs> to 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 the gospel and to um, the invitation that. Uh, Christ and the Christian church gives um, is that we are people with the capacity to engage with truth, even in ways outside of, you know, intellectual assent or rational um, um, thought. So I think that's awesome. I think it's awesome, too, that you didn't just kind of in a cheesy way. It wasn't this emotional uh, experience disassociated with intellectualism that was never revisited. You then revisited it. So there's that piece. And then the other piece that I think shows another shade, shade of this is when you talk about growing in the Christian walk and forgiveness just now. Um, I think, of course, there's a lot of that. And even as you've shared, working with a, with a counselor to grow in ways that are... Um, perhaps a little bit more studious, academic, um, even uh, material, um, emotional material. But also, you share in the article a little bit about that transformation, uh, truly feeling like it was not of your own volition and your own power. Um, can you share a little more about that particular? I think there was a story with a roommate and. Uh... Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Um, I I was at odds with my sophomore year roommate, um, and we got into this little public uh, humiliating each other. Actually, I I was humiliating him, putting little signs on our door saying what a jerk this guy was. Well, about maybe four or five days after that night that I trusted Christ to forgive my sins. I was going back to class from class to the dorm. I was going to take a shower before dinner and I got to our room and lo and behold, he had put a little sign on our door, making me look like a fool. So I ripped the thing down. I was furious about that. So I stopped off to the shower to, you know, to take my shower and I'm figuring, okay, what can I do to get back to this guy? And I'm standing there and this thought popped in my mind. It was like, okay, wait a minute. He's just responding to the tone that you set, the example you gave. You're the one that started this whole thing. You're the one that's been criticizing him. You're the one that's been ridiculing him publicly. All he's doing is copying what you did. And I thought, oh, that's that's right. I guess I guess he's right. And then the very next thought that entered my mind was, I recalled the meeting a few days previously where the speaker said, if you begin a relationship with Jesus, he's going to start showing you things about yourself that you never realized. And I thought, I wonder if this is what he's talking about, if this is an example of that. And then the very next thing I thought of, and I don't know if this was a vision or just a vivid thought or whatever, I, I don't know, I'm not that mystical, but I imagined myself in the attic of my mom's house, kind of rummaging around for something. And I looked up and saw we had a metal wardrobe uh, against the wall. And I looked up and I noticed, well, you know what? There's a doorway behind there 
that I never noticed was there. I mean, how, how could I have missed that? So I pushed the the um, wardrobe aside, and lo and behold, it was a door, and I opened it up, and there's a whole new room there that had been there all the time that I didn't know existed. And I thought, whoa, maybe this is part of that Christianity thing. It's always been there. I never knew it, and this is really cool. So I, I left the, the shower excited, you know, rather than being mad at this guy, it's like, this is, maybe this is, there's more to this than I was given credit for. So that was a really cool, really cool story. And let me mention something else about the intellectualism. Um, I've spoken about my book uh, on a number of college campuses. And a couple of years ago, I was at the University of North Carolina in Wilmington, speaking to a faculty uh, luncheon group, a Christian group where they invited Christian faculty and, and non-Christians too. And I was going through my normal description of the book and what's in it and all that. And they were very polite, very interested in following what I said. But at the end, I said, listen, okay, I've given all this intellectual stuff about why the Bible's true and, you know, mental filters that people screen out the parts they don't like or write, read things into it they don't, they want it. They wish you'd say that, but it really doesn't. I said, that's all important, but let me just tell you more important than that. Let me just give you a quick rundown of my own story. And I gave him about maybe a three or four minute version of my background. And, you know, they were attentive the whole time. It was a very, very good meeting. But that was the last few minutes where the proverbial, you could hear a pin drop. They were riveted by my story. So I guess there are two aspects of things that you'll never convince me the Bible's not true. One is that I think there's plenty of academic and intellectual reasons to support it. But more importantly, Jesus changed my life. You know, I don't care what you say. You'll never convince me that he didn't because he did. And again, it's not a cheesy thing because I know other religious faiths will have claims like that too. But I think the combination of the academic intellectual support and the reality that it's not just a, you know, a, a mindset, it's not just a set of beliefs. It really is a relationship with the creator of the universe who changes you over time as you continue to to try to honor him, try to walk with him every day. So we don't usually have guests that email us questions, but you emailed <laughs> me a question. And I feel like this is a great time because I love, one of the reasons I love kind of working with Gage is, you know, we, I tend to be a little bit more with feeling, but I can add intellectualism. He tends to be a little bit more intellectual, but add feeling. So this is a great conversation for us. But one of the questions that you sent me, you're like, I want you to ask me this, is do you think there's an advantage of your story? And I guess the way I wanna frame this before kind of jumping in, one of the biggest questions people have about Christianity is why do bad things happen to good people? And last, you know, in the episode that pairs with this, Mark Goodman, you know, Mark like almost, you know, and you're friends with him, it was almost overdone. He's like, I'm so glad that this happened to me. And like, he was talking about this healing that like, I, I think some of our listeners could sit back there and say, you wanted all that terrible things happen to you to come to Jesus. So I guess I'm just kind of coming to you as someone that there's definitely before following Jesus and after following Jesus, I'm asking you your question. What is that advantage? All right. I think it's a huge advantage because, I mean, I would not wish this on anybody, but God can redeem 
even very difficult circumstances and use it for his glory and to help other people. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul talks about the fact that he was comforting the Christians in Corinth with comfort that God gave him, then they can turn around and comfort other people with that same comfort. He uses the word comfort, I think, eight times in about three verses. So um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about the fact that God can comfort us and we can turn around and comfort other people with the comfort that he's given to us. And I found one of the advantages is that I've been able to uh, relate to people or they can relate to my story, even though their circumstances are different. Um, you know, you don't have to have experienced what I did growing up to, to know how difficult life can be. Sometimes people have, you know, major illnesses, they have deaths of family members, uh, people have their spouses cheat on them. You know, these are kind of parallel problems that people experience. And I know that people know that I can relate to their problems because of what I've gone through. And I never say I know exactly how I feel because I don't, unless somebody's had very, very parallel circumstances. But it is parallel. You know, okay, I have, I've never lost a child to illness, but look at my family background. So I, I, I can relate to your feelings. Anyway, the way God has redeemed this is over the last maybe 15 years or so, he's brought me into a mentorship ministry. Uh, for some reason, guys in their 30s and 40s um, kind of reach a point in life where, you know, they have the, the college degree, they got the job, they have the house, the kids, the dog, all that stuff. And they look around and say, okay, is this all there is to life? And at that point, people tend to can go one way or the other. Either they kind of start doing crazy things or they get serious about their relationship with God. So because of what I've experienced, I've been able to connect with these guys, meeting with them one-on-one, -on -one, um, you know, on a very, very informal basis, just saying, listen, I'm here for you. Um, I never had anybody in my life that really took me under their wing. I'm not pretending to be your savior, but to the extent that you want me to be here and share my opinions on stuff, I'm, I'm happy to do that. So, mm. so that's, that's the advantage. And I don't think I'd be able to do that had I not experienced, uh, you know, what I did growing up. That's really rich. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely um, something that people, even not having all the same experiences, will appreciate and certainly be able to uh, relate to parts of it. Um, I'm curious uh, to circle a little even uh, back around some of these things. If you had to kind of just put a little directly, um, you know, kind of straight head on answer the questions, if someone brought to you the objection that perhaps it sounds like you had at one time, um, that uh, two things that Christianity is, you know, the famous uh, religions, the uh, opioid of the masses, um, that Christianity, that right. faith is a escape from, from realism, even from self-awareness, like an escape from dealing with what's hard in your life, an escape mm -hmm. from self-awareness. And also related, it's, it's an escape from, you know, 
science, intellectualism, reality in that more rational, materialist sense. Someone comes to you with these objections. Hey, I think Christianity is an escape, an ignore, uh, an avoidance yeah. of self-awareness and science. What's what's your kind of head-on response from your own experience? Okay, my head-on is, okay, let's talk about that. You know, I don't claim to be the smartest guy around, but I do have a couple of academic shots and I like to engage. I love engaging with people like that because there are people that it's kind of an indoor parlor game. How can I throw these Christians off? You know, they study one or two little factoids that, you know, seem to undercut the Christian faith and they love throwing it out of Christians saying, okay, what are you going to do with that one? You know, that opioid thing. So I would engage them and say, okay, let's talk about that. Why do you, what are your, what presuppositions lie behind your comment that you just made? And are those presuppositions valid? I'll tell you my presuppositions are the Bible's the word of God is true, is reliable. I've studied it. You know, I'm not saying there aren't problems or challenges. I can't explain everything to everybody's satisfaction, but I've, to my own satisfaction, again, I'm not a dope. Um, I, I have no problem supporting that. And let's talk about whatever issues you're, you're thinking are, are weak about the Christian faith. And we end up a lot of times in a stalemate because they're probably not going to convince me because I haven't heard too many questions that I haven't heard before. And I probably am not going to convince them, but I say, okay, now we've established the fact that we're both smart. You know, neither one of us is some, you know, emotionalistic, whatever, just going off the, off the edge of the cliff. So let's talk about the real issue. The real issue is Jesus said he's God. He said, every one of us, is separated from God because of choices we made because of our sin. We need to deal with that problem. And I'm telling you, Jesus changed my life. And what are you going to do with that? So not not an in-your-face way. I mean, I'm not combative, but I don't let them get away with that, basically, because they, a lot of those folks, it's, it's smoke and mirrors on their part to see if I can stump the Christian. Mm. So I don't know yeah. if that answers your question or not. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Let me poke a little on that former piece even. You shared the experience with your roommate having that moment of clarity and self-awareness. Would you say that has increasingly characterized your faith journey, that that self-revelation, that self-awareness? Sure. That's, you know, we talk about it and we use the term relationship before it is a relationship. So God reveals stuff. That's what the Holy Spirit does. I've had maybe five or six experiences in my life that are clearly, clearly God speaking to me, you know, not in an audible voice, but there's no doubt that God was getting a particular message through to me. And I'm not a mystical person. I don't, you know, not a miracle every day or anything like that. But I think the more normal way that he interacts with us is by the Holy Spirit showing us things about ourselves, putting ideas into our heart or mind, showing us things that we need to reconsider. And then I have the choice to either respond to that and say, well, yeah, you know, I really didn't handle that well. I do need to go and apologize to that person or whatever it is, or I reject that. So that's the, that's the touch point. Am I, as God reveals things to me in a gentle, loving way, am I going to accept that or, or put up my defenses and walk away from that? So it's very organic, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So as we kind of start coming to a close, I, I want to just, I want to kind of come back. Uh, this is why I have fun with Gage. I want to come back to kind of, 
you come to know Jesus in Syracuse, you end up taking a professional life. It sounds like four generations of your family um, just painfully abusive, um, almost generation to generation. And here you are, yeah, yeah. retired, living with your family. <laughs> and tell us, like, how did you learn how to be a husband, how to be a dad, how to be a granddad when you never, like, you never experienced this in a healthy way? Mm-hmm. You know, in following yeah. Jesus, we can look at your life and pinpoint, like, why do you still follow Jesus? Well, before my life, this is what it looked like. What did that process look like yeah. for you? Well, I'm forever grateful to Crew for the excellent, excellent uh, exposure and training. You know, nine years on their staff, heard countless messages on all kinds of topics, including family stuff. Another um, source I love is Christianity Today magazine. Uh, you know, they published my story a while ago. Focus on the family. Uh, I used to have a 38-mile commute from Ann Arbor, Michigan, into Detroit, uh, 38 miles each way. So I'd listen to Focus on the Family broadcasts, and just the there's a wealth of wonderful Christian material out there, very very practical that helps people uh, come to grips with these personal issues that everybody deals with. And you know, if the Christian faith is only a head game. I'm not interested. I mean, I love philosophy. I love thinking about things. I love the truth and all that. But, you know, this is real. Jesus is real. He changes people's lives. He changed my life. He can change other people's lives. I want to be a part of that to pass it along to other people. So, you know, just years of listening to people, going to church, interacting with other Christians, learning from them, uh, just a wonderful process of, of walking with, with the Lord. Wow. Um, Glenn, I am so glad that we had you on this episode. And um, I didn't tell Gage this, but we uh, we usually do the question. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we usually do the question, what does Jesus have to say about this topic? Uh, but I, I've kind of changed it, and we'll see if this sticks. But just we're calling it final remarks. So Gage yeah. and myself are going to give final remarks. And then whatever heresy or like intellectually unsound <laughs> thing that we say, you get to clean up the mess. Does that sound good? All right. I don't think that'll happen, but I'll, I'll, I'll pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> so Gage, as you kind of give final remarks to this discussion, you know, what are some thoughts that you have? Sure. Well, I appreciate the new, the new question. It takes a little of the pressure off. This is not, I'm not speaking for Jesus here. This is from my own experience, you know, trying to grow in, in relationship with him, trying to grow more mature, all these things. So what I love about, about uh, your story is um, even you captured it uh, just a, in those last few minutes there and saying, if it's just intellectual, I'm not interested. Um, which is remarkable coming from you, given your experience and career. Um, and I think that bit, that, that, that roommate story captures so well is, for me, what really struck out during this conversation and hearing your story is that very much um, a real relationship with Christ is something that is not, in fact, an escape from uh, the realness of life, the realness of who you are. In fact, it actually opens that door in the attic 
to parts of yourself that you you weren't seeing yourself. It's like the best, incredible, you know, magnificent version of the most incredible counselor you could imagine, right? Help helping you discover stuff in a healthy way about how you were made, um, what's true about you. You know, from my own journey, that is very much characterized. I've been in a season lately of a lot of questions, a lot of discernment, trying to figure out what to do. Um, big questions about vocation and, and and living and all these things. And each time, at first I'm frustrated because each time as I, I really feel like I get the time with God to really engage and listen, I don't get the concrete answer. I'm not given the solution. But what I am given is an awareness, often in the form of a question, like, what are you afraid of? Yeah. Um yeah. Why are you anxious about this thing? I'm all in each one of these these moments lately. I've been not given the answer, but given a, a better awareness of myself and and how I'm discerning these things. So just that bit, I really love that. It really is something that in, in the relationship with Christ, in the relationship with He who created you, um, Christianity is in fact a path to healthier and wholer self awareness. No, I, I think that that's really powerful. And, you know, I, I'm going to encourage all of our listeners to go read that article. And I'm going to say something kind of very similar to Gage. I think what I love about this question, why do I still follow Jesus? And we didn't necessarily act you directly because it just came out. But I, I think that there's a, a flip side to this question. You know, what does my life look like without Jesus? Um, and I want to answer that from, you know, kind of two stages. So, you know, there's People like you, Glenn, that have walked through serious stra uh, tragedy, or tragedy and pain that it was going to just repeat the same cycle. And I think that to our listeners that are deconstructing, that are doubting, there are more Christians that have Glenn-type stories than you'd imagine, that the only thing that they can point to is Jesus. But then there's another side, what would my life look like without Jesus? And this is where I'll put myself in there. I grew up in a fantastic Christian home, not perfect. Um, I have a very boring story of following Jesus. <laughs> but when I think about the worst, like the sins and of myself and just what would my life look like without following Jesus, it, it might not be a terrible life. You know, it might not be that, you know, I'm going through significant things, but, you know, I wonder, like, if I didn't follow Jesus, would would I deal with something like alcoholism? Would I, um, would I be divorced three times? Because I'm not having, like, what you explained, that still small voice, and even those presuppositions about the gospel and grace in my life. And so I would just encourage our listeners, whether whether or not you follow Jesus or not, to really engage that question that if you're not following Jesus, what could my life look like if I follow Jesus? And if you are and you're struggling and doubting, I think sometimes even asking what would my lo life look like without Jesus, based on even what you said about forgiveness and revenge, and that there's just a better way to live, that would be my challenge. So yeah. Glenn? Whatever you got, clean it up. No, I, no, no, that's perfect. You guys are exactly right. And, you know, the thing, and this has come up a couple of times, there's not a disconnect between the heavy intellectual academic side and the, the real faith side. 
And, you know, I, one of my stereotypes of the Christian life before it became one was that these are emotionalistic people that haven't really thought things through. If they really were smart, they would leave this behind. And I'm telling you, that's not the case. Um, and again, it comes down to Jesus changing your life. So that's what it's about. Wow. Hey, Glenn, before we uh, close up shop here, what where's the best place people can find you? Okay, my I have a website. It's glennpearson.co, G-L-E-N-N-P-E-A-R-S-O-N.co, not .com, .co. And I send out blogs every three weeks. I'd be happy to add people to my to my list if you're interested. Uh, I try to deal with practical aspects of the Christian life that, uh, you know, questions that these guys I'm meeting with are coming up with, you know, I'm addressing stuff that people care about. I think, and I hope in an academically acceptable way, but it's not a headpiece. It's really trying to bring the faith down to what people, what what's important to people. So glennpearson.co, not .com. Glenn with two N's. So yeah, thank you so much Correct. for joining us, Glenn, and answering this question. And uh, if you want to find out more about Why Got Why, go to the Why Got Why podcast.com, click the subscribe button. And just like Glenn, we send you an email, not every three weeks, but every week with episodes like this one. So thank you so much for joining us.